climbing the pockets in the huddle, talking your Minnesota Vikings. Hey everybody, it's Dave here, and we're excited to start off Climbing the Pocket Networks in the huddle. Tonight, we're going to be discussing a lot of things as the Viking season ends, and we're looking forward to what's in the future. Jason, it's all yours, buddy. Thanks, David. And yes, we are, uh, I guess we're excited. The Viking season has, uh, has mercifully come to a close to let us look forward and uh, maybe have some hope for things to, to switch up, be different, and maybe not. Maybe we'll just talk about what we hope will happen. Maybe not have hope. We'll just talk about what we hope will happen. But before we get to all that, as David said, I will be your host today. My name is Jason Brown. You can find me on Brown Twitter. And I'm going to throw it over to Brown Twitter, huh? Yeah. My Brown Jason on <laughs> oh, Twitter. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. And we're back. Miles, thank you for the correction. What up? How you what doing, receiver one? I'm doing pretty good. I don't know. You, you mentioned... You had said, though, we're going to talk about the things we want to do, and I just don't know if I can do that because it just breaks my heart every time <laughs> when I talk about the things that I would like to see the, the team do, and they always, always do the opposite. So we'll see about that. All right. And uh, rolling it along, we got the man. He's back. The Vaseline has been taken off the camera lens. He is here with the new crisp webcam for your viewing pleasure. Nick. My man, how you doing? How you been? I'm good, man. Yeah, I upgraded the camera for Christmas, so you know we're we're all in here. We're we're invested. So uh, I was honestly glad to get like this Viking season over and done with. Um, I don't know if I would have wanted to watch us get blown out by the Saints or something in the playoffs. <laughs> another another seven Alvin Kamara touchdowns. No, thank you. So I, I mean, it's a disappointing season, but I'm ready for cryptic Twitter. I'm ready for. Ready for Everson Griffin, sweeting him to come back. I'm ready for people, ready for all that drama. So uh, the draft is fun. You know, free agency, bring it on. Here we go. And last but certainly not least, the man, the myth, the legend, the Flip Mozzie. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well. I guess I'm the least excited person here because all that stuff that Nick's excited for just not for me, bro. I, I All these mock drafts, I literally... I, I scroll on Twitter until I hit a mock draft, and then I just automatically exit the ad. So, well, we're doing it for you. We're trying to help you get some balance back in your life, Flip. Get you back outside, enjoying the beautiful weather in California. Yeah, I picked up some golf clubs, so you know that'll be the new Sunday hobby. You know, there we go. Well, well, Nick, you're back, and so I'm going to throw you on the spot first, and you get to break down uh, the. Wonderful game we got to witness between <laughs> the Vikings and the Lions this past weekend. What were your thoughts? Yeah. How did you see things going? Your man, Kurt Cousins, put up some fantastic numbers, got over 4,000 yards, Justin Jefferson breaking records. Talk to me, Nick. <laughs> it was like a legitimately fun game. There were like eight lead changes. It was a high-scoring affair. Crazy things happened. Justin Jefferson broke Randy Moss's rookie franchise receiving record and then broke the all-time NFL record for rookie receiving yards. That's pretty exciting. So, yeah, it was like a meaningless – it was almost like a preseason game, but much like Mike Zimmer's other preseason games, it was a lot of fun. So the entertainment value was high. Um, Jefferson obviously had a great game. Um, you know, he saw some good stuff from the young guys. Gladney had some had some mistakes with his, with his uh, sort of – uh, wrapping up after the tackle and stuff, but he was really good in coverage. He he allowed like two catches for eight total yards in the game. So that was good to see. Um, everyone else on defense wasn't as great, but um, I mean, Smith had the pick and Harris had a drop pick and a couple other uh, nice plays, but um, the other corners, I mean, Dantzler was hurt. So kind of had Chris Jones and people you had never heard of before getting picked on Cordia Tankers lead uh, Tay Hayes or something. <laughs> I was like, who is 32 in this game? I get paid to cover this team. I don't, who is 32? Um, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, Stafford had a pretty, I mean, he had, we got the full Stafford experience where he had like crazy bombs downfield, but also throwing it straight to defenders. So uh, I don't know. It was, that was kind of like the Viking season in, in a wrap. Like, the offense was fun. It was productive. The defense, there were some interesting um, 
there was some nice play from the coverage guys, but pass rush was generating zero pressure, and it was a it was a high scoring game, and ultimately a one score game. And this one they happened to pull away with. And Miles, you you came very close to predicting the score on this one beforehand. Yeah, what were your yep. thoughts? I mean, you saw you knew this game was going to go like this, so just what were your thoughts watching it uh, as, as things played out live? The refs did not want the Lions to win that game, hundred <laughs> um, percent. No, I mean the refs were bad, and I mean the the um, roughing the passer call. That thing was that was ridiculous. That was probably I I don't think I've seen a worst call in the history of the NFL, at least that I can think of. I'm sure there's other ones that I'm, I'm th- not thinking about, but like that one was bad. And it just, the, the way the ref just so casually threw the, threw the flag out, like it was like so obvious. I just, it, it threw me um, on a fourth and goal. Like it, it literally changed the entire landscape of the game because the Vi- I'm not saying the Vikings still end up losing that game, but it, <laughs> they might've lost. Um, it and, cost like, you your draft pick miles. Yeah, we could have the eleventh pick. The rep, Come rep's on, always huh? screwing us, man. Always. Hey, we could we could we should have just pulled the Eagles, took Kirk out, put some Sean Manning in, and we could have figured it out. Um, no, I mean, you know, the the offense was. So what I wanted to touch on, what I wanted to touch on, I expected this to be a high scoring game. Both offenses are pretty solid. Both quarterbacks like to throw the ball around, um, and both defenses suck. So there's a lot of great, like to Nick's point. A lot of fun. Like as a fan, you just get to watch a lot of really good football or fun football. I won't say good all the time, but fun football. Oh. Get that off the screen. Oh. Yeah, I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but no. Uh, what I want to touch on is the – so Dalvin Cook was gone. So uh, condolences to him and his family. Terrible situation, losing his father. Um, you hate hearing that. Hate, hate to hear the fact that he couldn't play in the last game. But, you know, obviously more, more worried about him, him and his family than anything. Um, but since he wasn't – he didn't play the last game. One thing I wanted to touch on is what I noticed in the offense without Dalvin Cook is they did not focus on a singular player or a singular like focus on the run game. Like when Dalvin Cook's in the game, they so so much prioritize getting him the football, especially in the run game. And like I understand how talented he is. I understand how good of a player. So you want to get your good players the football. 100% with that. But what, what I noticed on Sunday was they decided to mix in different running backs. Flip, flip. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Is the fact that they should be rotating in running backs like crazy? You know, Alexander Madison played pretty well, but he also did well in the passing game. Amir Abdullah, I think they finally u- utilized him the best way that they should have been doing all season. He should have been the de facto like third down, you know, screen back stuff like that because he's really good in those in those areas. He's good. He's the best route runner in the running back room. Um, they finally used him in that way on Sunday. Um, not to say he's anything special, but in terms of like what they have at skill sets, he's the best one at that. So it was nice to see a little bit of all those guys, um, you know, getting their opportunities and then still opening up the passing game, you know, getting guys like Justin Jefferson involved all over the field. Adam Thielen was kind of like a non-factor, which is crazy. They put up 37 points, Kirk threw for over 400 yards, and Adam Thielen was kind of just uh, there. Not to say he played bad or anything, but they definitely looked at Irv Smith, uh, Justin Jefferson, they've kind of prioritized a little bit of the other younger guys and a uh, Chad, Chad, fucking Chad, Chad BB, um, with the, with the touchdown. Um, yeah, but like, so, it, so like Nick said, it was a really entertaining game. Um, but I thought the offense in general it was nice to kind of see them spread the ball around and kind of, we have a new wide receiver one. I mean, We've, you know, we've kind of been in this limbo for a while. We weren't talk. We've argued about who's the wide receiver one for years between Diggs and Thielen. Um, we definitely have that change now. I mean, I think it's easy to say that heading into next year, Justin Jefferson should be considered the wide receiver one. He gives you the most explosive um, ability on the offensive side of the ball. Um, he's the guy that uh, can win in all over the field. Um, and I think letting Adam Thielen continue in his role as what he's been doing is is still going to be really effective for what this team can do. Yeah. And Flip, you got to see a lot of the things that you've been asking for since week one. Unfortunately, it was week 17, and the game didn't really matter all that much. But I guess, how did you feel watching this one? Uh, you know, we, we saw, it seemed like we saw a lot of wrinkles, uh, and you continue to be impressed by the young foundation that this team has and hopefully has. You know, Nick's the uh, Nick's the film guru, so I'll defer to him. But it seemed like 
what Miles was saying. We saw more different running backs in the backfield. We saw multiples in terms of formation. We saw a lot of creativity. We saw even ball distribution. All the things we want to see. It's funny that for the Vikings, it's like an experiment, just doing what other offenses are doing on the regular. It's like, okay, the Vikings are going to wait till week 17 to experiment with those ideas. But at least we saw them work. Uh, it, it was a, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take anything major away from playing that Detroit Lions defense. But it it is good to see. It's encouraging for the young players to get a win and play well uh, to, to finish the year. And now it's a question of can we take that momentum forward and learn the right lessons from what we saw in week 17. Well, Flip, speaking of learning the right lessons, because you were a bit fired up. Uh, there were some quotes that came out of a, a Mike Zimmer press conference as we kind of look back on the season, think about the season that was, and then kind of spin forward into maybe how we're going to adjust or, or learn from mistakes we may have made. And, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer said some things that uh, you didn't really love, that got you really fired up. Um, walk me through it, Flip. What was it that Mike Zimmer was, was doing and saying that it really just made you feel like, you know, it is absolutely time to, to go in a different direction based on what you were hearing from me? Yeah, you know, maybe it's just perceived by me, but I I loved the Mike Zimmer who walked into this building, to, walked into the Minnesota franchise in 2014 and turned things around. And he did that with a no-nonsense attitude. Uh, when a player was injured, he didn't care. He was going to coach up the next guy. When a player wasn't playing well, he didn't care. He was going to bench that player or or tell him outright publicly that that player wasn't cutting it. And those things are really what changed the culture here in Minnesota. And, you know, it, it just it was just so different coming from Brad Childress and Mike Tice and Leslie Frazier going to that no-nonsense Mike Zimmer. Well, if you listen to Mike Zimmer now, he sounds a lot like Leslie Frazier, you know, in, in – in how, yes, he's accepting blame, but a lot of just the ideas of how you coach and manage this roster and move forward are just really complacent, backfooted. You got no control over injuries. Of course, injuries happen, but you have no control on whether they happen again. So to just sit back and say, oh, it was due to the injuries, that doesn't help you prepare for the next season any better. And in general, this team has always handled success poorly. You talk about how they're good every other year. That's because they don't learn the right lessons when they're good. And you talk about Mike Zimmer's low, low floor or high floor, low ceiling. That's because when they get to like an 11 and five or a, a playoff win, they're almost satisfied with that success and not actually shooting for the ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl. So sure, it's okay that we're unhealthy. I still expect us to make the playoffs when we're unhealthy. I, I get that we're going to be a lot better when we do have, you know, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks. I get that we're better, but I don't want us to just be better and be a playoff team. I want a healthy Minnesota Viking squad to challenge for a Super Bowl. And there was no talk about trying to win a championship next year about uh, about fall how far we fell short of our goal somehow it was a failure just because we didn't make the playoffs it wasn't a huge failure because we should have been getting in because we should have been challenging for that super bowl so 2021 again we need to ask ourselves are we going to compete for a super bowl yes or no and that's a question i have for y'all well real quick too i think the point of that flip is the every other year situation is we go from a disappointing, you know, disappointing non-playoff team and then vault ourselves into a Super Bowl contender. How like like that's where my issues have been is like that lack of inconsistency. How how are you gonna go from a we're not even a playoff caliber team this year? And I understand the injuries, um, but overall, mm -hmm. like not a playoff caliber team, and then next year we're a Super Bowl contender, like and then 
the following year, it'll, you know, we just, it's a, it just continues to repeat itself. It's, like, I'm just trying to understand how we're supposed to get to that point. The Vikings yeah, so are Nick. very good at, sorry, let me just fit one more point in. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. The, the Vikings are very good at fixing the problems right in front of their face. So if you think about right 20, if you think about 26, 2015, they were good. They made the playoffs. Okay. 2016, they lost that quarterback and they had a bad offensive line, but they only fixed one of those issues going into, going into 2016 and 2017. Again, they're really good. They're like, okay, all we need is a quarterback. Well, no, you still had offensive line issues in 2017. And when you get to 2018, boom, all those things pop up again. So it's, that's why I say we're not handling our success. We're not learning the right lessons. Yeah. Look at the, look at the San Francisco 49ers. They were injured this year too, but when the 49ers are healthy, they're competing for a Super Bowl. And so I, I just, I want that to be Mike Zimmer's goal and for him to, you know, state out loud that, when we're good, we want to be the best team in the NFL, not just a playoff contender. So, Nick, I wanted to get you in here because you've you you've talked uh, previously about the idea of ceilings uh, being something that you don't really love. You don't really love that idea. You understand where it comes from and and, and why it's something that has has become uh, a part of of how we talk about things. But it's something that you don't really you know, love to talk about because, you know, maybe next year, like everyone else has injuries. We don't, we win a Super Bowl. Like, do we really still have a ceiling type thing? But when you think about how the Vikings have chosen to construct a roster, uh, run an offense, build a defense, I guess, what are your thoughts on the chosen strategy for, for all of those things and how they might affect, I guess, the upper range of, of the variance the Vikings could hope to expect just based on how they've chosen to put together a roster and the way that Mike Zimmer seems to want to run things. Yeah. I've said before, I don't really believe in ceilings because, you know, football Super Bowls are limited to. So it's such a unusual event. You know, if, if Super Bowls were distributed fairly, you would win one. Each team would win one once every 32 years. And but the NFL isn't a fair place and Bill Belichick is in there. So reality, like your actual chances are probably like once every 50 years. Um, and so so you're lucky to get one in a lifetime, really. Um, and the fact that like Nick Foles and Joe Flacco are Super Bowl winning quarterbacks in the last decade, Eli Manning twice, twice. Eli was never that good. Never. <laughs> and terrible. Jim Plunkett before that. And 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 Peyton Manning, when he threw, like, was benched in the middle of a game for Brock Osweiler, 1-1-2. So, we're, you know, we're talking about, like, does does the, a run-heavy offense with Kirk Cousins under center put a ceiling on your offense? I mean, it's never going to be the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs, but you don't have to have Patrick Mahomes to win a Super Bowl. So um, I do think what they're doing right now, what, they're, what they have with Kirk Cousins, what they have with Mike Zimmer is a lot of teams who um, have won but haven't won the big one yet. Um, and I think that's really frustrating as a fan, uh, probably as an owner, um, for anybody else as a stakeholder in the organization to be like, how do we get over this hump? It's frustrating, but I, I'm just not sure jettisoning everything and, and doing a full rebuild from scratch um, gives you a better chance next year or the year after necessarily to, to, to win the Super Bowl. That's not to um, say that Kirk Cousins is like a top five quarterback. I don't think he is, or that like Mike Zimmer is a top five coach. I don't think he is, but I, I, I think... <clears throat> I think sometimes you, you got to just give it your best shot every year and see where you can go with that. And, you know, you look at like the Vikings Super Bowl odds every year and they're like, you know, they're, they're, they're like have a 5% shot, which is above average, which is, you know, that's sometimes you just got to keep rolling the dice and see where they see where they land. As far as like the roster. But they're not doing anything. They're not doing anything different, though. That's my issue, Nick, is like they're they just keep repeating their same pattern over and over and over and not finding any true success there. That's that's my issue is like it, I, I'm with you on the like they they've they found a stability and they found a talented enough quarterback. I believe that they I think Zimmer's a, a good enough overall coach based off of like what he's been able to build a defense. But like they continue to treat this system as a like what Flip was saying, it's just a rotation of 
well, we were bad now, for, and here are the areas we were bad, so let's just fill those couple of holes, and then the rest will just repeat itself. Yeah, like nothing else will go wrong. <laughs> nothing else will go wrong. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen will be perfectly healthy all 16 games, and they'll play lights out the way they did. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook will will play 14, 14 plus games, 13 plus games a season. You know, Kirk Cousins will throw for 4,000 yards. Our Daniel Hunter will have 15 plus sacks. Like all these Eric Hendricks, all these things are going to be consistent every year, no matter what. And because we have these other holes, let's make sure we fill those small holes that we have that were bad from 2020. You know, we'll, we'll see it this year. Interior defensive line and pass rush, uh, maybe add another corner. And then they might add another offensive lineman. And that'll be like the just of like what the offseason looks like. And then they'll just and they'll be better than they were in 2020, but they still will peak themselves out because we'll see an issue happen. We'll see something go wrong, like an injury or a player regresses. Like those things are bound to happen in certain areas. And it just feels like they're just they're they're not willing to hedge their bets on anything other than fill the current holes of the negative that we had now. I, yeah, sorry, I mean, sorry to interrupt you there too no 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 you're totally right but i i think this year they went into it knowing that the current formula wasn't going to work so let's let's get rid of all our starting cornerbacks let's get rid of linval let's get rid of griffin let's have a full reset on the defense and let's try and rebuild it and and that's really what this defense was this year was a rebuild and then it had the injury the bad injury lock on top of that they traded for yannick and gakwe <laughs> to let us yeah. know that they were rebuilding <laughs> <laughs> I, you, I think, you know they had a, they they had a shot to be to compete for a playoff window coming in, yeah, and they probably sure. misjudged things a little bit there, um, especially with COVID. But uh, to their credit, they got out of it and and didn't take too much of a bath on it. Um, I guess I, I I guess I have a couple thoughts. I think one Zimmer is constantly trying to tinker and refigure and rejigger the defense. Like schematically, I don't think any coach changes his defense as much as Zimmer does. Like compared to any, like yeah. think of any good look, good any good coach, defensive coach in the NFL. Like McDermott's scheme is kind of the same thing that he's run, running with the Panthers. Like Belichick, Belichick's. I mean, he has a lot of like in-game tweaks, but like he likes a lot run a lot of like cover one man coverage. Like Salah has kind of been. I mean, he's adapted to run more quarters, but he's kind of still like a, a cover three slash quarters guy. Zimmer's done everything, and the fronts are changing, and he he does so much tinkering, and he really tries. And this year, he really tried. He did a lot. Did a lot of really interesting things on the defense schematically um, to try and and address holes. So defensively, Zimmer's really good. And then just on the offense, like yeah, the offense had its struggles this year, um, but like every other team that does what we do, the wide zone play action offense, I think every single team is in the playoffs. We got the Browns, Titans, Packers. Um, you know, these are some good offenses. Rams. Who am I missing? Rams. Rams are in there. Yeah. Did the 49ers make it? No, maybe four down missed. I forget. So, but you know, four is obviously it's not definitely a bad the offense, right so. scheme. Yeah, it's definitely the right scheme. And, and like, do they need a lot of luck to go to the playoffs, like to to win the Super Bowl? Yes, but that's kind of like the whole that's what, kind of the whole thing is like you need Nick Foles to go on a miracle run or something. You need you know you need to have I, Tom Brady and a lot of things I, need I, to go right to win a Super Bowl. Right, but I, I guess I agree. With my you. Uh, yeah. I. I get, I look at 2020 in this year and I'm probably most envious of the Steelers and the saints this year, because these are teams who they haven't won a, a, a super bowl recently. Um, you know, the Steelers more recently than the saints, but they are always there. And you, you, you look at the saints and the injuries they had, they had Mike, their best wide receiver just was a no show for a significant portion of the year. Uh, they're playing a tight end at quarterback for a portion of the season and just <laughs> going, going back through saints playoff history. I mean, three heartbreak playoff losses in a row, and that team is still showing up and making it back to the playoffs every single year. Uh, same with same with the Steelers. They didn't make the playoffs last year, hurt quarterback, but they're a perennial playoff contender. So my thing with Mike Zimmer is like, look, if you can't raise your ceiling, then raise your floor. That's why 2020 is a failure because we know that maybe, maybe it's going to take 10, 12, 15 shots for the Vikings to go on a playoff run. 
but we're only getting to the playoffs every other year. So we're not we're not getting the roll of the dice as much as we should. So raise your ceiling or raise your floor. You got to give me one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. When I think of the Saints, I think back to, you know, they had three, seven and nine seasons in a row with Drew Brees and Sean Payton and like a historically bad defenses every year. But people are like, why can't Sean Payton get it together? You know, what else do we need to do? Do we need to do we need to make a change here? But they stuck with it and and they're back to being contenders. And part of that was they had a knockout draft in in 20, what, 2017. That's kind of what you hope. The reason the Saints are so good right now is they have probably top to bottom the best roster in the NFL, and they're just so good. And, at and there's position. and there's depth, and there's, but there's depth too. That's yeah, the exactly, right. exactly. And, there's that. They've got they've got backup quarterbacks. Right. They've got they've got backup everything. So, um, so you know, backup and, running and backs. So the, the depth is the crazy. Saints, so the Saints are a great Saints are fragile in in how they built their team. No, but they're also the like idea. Like the Vikings have been all in since 2016. We can all agree on that, right? Like. No, you can't tell me even in 2020, you could say like, yeah, the defense and all that. But overall, like their philosophy has been all in the last, you know, since 2016, I'd say because of how they've the talent they've had on their roster, the moves they've made to like help improve their roster. And, uh, you know, the then obviously 2018 even enhanced that even more because of the Kirk Cousins situation and all that. So they've been in all in mode since 2016. But there's all in mode with what the Vikings have done. And then there's the all in mode with what the Saints have fucking done. The Saints are literally going to be in cap hell for the next five years. I don't know. That might that might be a little excessive, but like their their cap situation, they continue to kick the can down the road, and they're like, "Hey, we don't care. We have Drew Brees now. We're going to do everything we can to build the perfect roster around Drew Brees to make sure that we have a talented enough team to get us in the playoffs, get us you know get us as far as we can. Obviously, the, the hope is the Super Bowl. Like when I think of all in, the Saints are literally all in, and at least for me. Like, yeah, when, when that bottom drops out, it's going to drop a hard for those the Saints. But if they find a way to win a Super Bowl this year, it's going to be all worth it. And at least to me, if you're, if you're at least willing to make that, those, some of those sacrifices at a time where you're all in, I'm all for it. Like, and again, we're going to be talking shit about the Saints in a year or two when they're, when they're bad and whatever, just because they don't have any money to do anything. But Casey's at least running you know, triple option. <laughs> At least they went for it, and I, I'm I'm all for the idea of going for it. Like you know, like your point, Nick. You don't you only get so many opportunities. And to your point, Flip. At least when you get into the dance, you got a chance. Like you you got you have some sort of chance. Like you you, you got to do uh, one or the other. Sure, it, that's I yeah, guess, for sure. Is, is my point. But yeah. yeah, so obviously we just had a commenter uh, give us a wonderful segue into kind of the next topic, but also something I think that ties back to this one is that. There's been no consistency. And so that's one of the things that as we get to this point that I'm starting to wonder about a little bit, like, Nick, you say you don't believe in ceilings, but it feels like the Vikings are are manufacturing difficulty. Like they're ramping up the difficulty setting on themselves. Like if the quarterback is the most important position, I think everyone will agree about that. Like not going to find too many people saying at this day and age of the running back or something like that is more important. So quarterback is the most important position. Kirk Cousins. You know, many of us were were detractors before he got here. I think it's fair to say he's played above the level of our expectations since he got here. And I think we all pretty much know Kirk Cousins is going to be the guy for the foreseeable future here. Like, that's just what it is. So if that is where we're at and Kirk Cousins is the quarterback, do you hit a point where you have to say, like, we need to do, like Miles was saying, everything we can while we have this quarterback to make that quarterback as successful as he can be like can we just need to go all in however we can and and i feel like a big part of that has to be like getting some consistency for kirk cousins where it isn't a different voice in his ear you know every year every other year calling the plays different tweaks slightly different verbiage that you got to learn like at some point is that something that starts to weigh into how you think about you know the value that zim obviously brings from a defensive perspective but the fact that like yeah we are making it more difficult on our quarterback seemingly every year like how do we, we we start to balance those things over time if you know this is the we're riding with Kirk Cousins that's where it's at at what point do we like have to say okay we need to prioritize him his success above everything else if we're going to be successful as a team yeah well I, I think they've, they're trying to do that they're trying to do that they're they're having some bad luck with the offensive coordinator turnover but you know they're, they're trying to surround Cousins with the right I mean 
Look, look at his weapons. Justin Jefferson, would, you know, a guy they drafted in the first round this year to, to add to his weapons. Dalvin Cook, a guy they signed up long term, who's probably, you know, if not the best running back in the NFL, he's certainly in that top tier. Um, Adam Thielen, who's very good. I mean, he's, he's going to be 31 next year, but he's still a very good receiver was what, like third or fourth or fifth in touchdown receptions this year. So a very good weapon. And Irv Smith kind of had a breakout year. So they're, they're trying to build weapons around him and a system around him. And on top of how much they've invested in the offensive line last three years, Bradbury first round pick, O'Neill second round pick, Ezra Cleveland second round pick. So they're they're trying to invest in the offense. It's just tough with the offensive coordinator position because they're either JDF was fired. Um, Kubiak sounds like he's retiring. I mean, it's not confirmed yet, but it sounds really sounds like he's leaning towards retirement. Um, but like, I, I guess it's a good problem to have that like Stefanski got hired away and looks to be the coach of the year favorite. It's a good problem that Pat Shermer got hired away. Um, if, if there's one thing that gives me confidence, it seems to, like Zimmer and Spielman know how to like find good OCs for the good for the most part. Like like JDF was obviously uh, the big yeah. the big bust in the in the in the in the bunch, but like but he was also the bell of the ball of that that offseason, just coming off a, a Super Bowl ring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Was like sort of the red zone coordinator for a very efficient offense. Was the QB coach for Wentz, who had this breakout MVP t- caliber season. So uh, I don't I guess I don't fault him for for taking the cheese on that one, but like. Shermer was a great hire, um, and Stefanski was a great promotion. Kubiak was a fantastic find. Um, I, I hope they'll find somebody else. It sounded like from the press conference today that Zimmer was was all in on the wide zone play action offense. So I don't know if that's Clint Kubiak. I'm hoping it's not Rick Dennison because he hasn't been too impressive in his previous stints at OC. But like, I, I think they're going to try and give Cousins some continuity here. It does stink though that like. Zimmer has had such bad luck and that when you have a defensively minded head coaches, this is kind of what you have to face. But I mean, at the same time, like this is just when you, when you have good coordinators, they get poached. And that's true for offensive coordinators too. It like, like it looks like um, Shanahan's going to lose Salah and that'll be a big loss. We'll see if the 49ers defense can keep up after they lose him. You know, it looks like Sean McDermott is going to lose Brian Dable this like off season. And, and that stinks, but we'll see if the Bills can keep up after they lose a really talented offensive coordinator. Belichick has lost guys coming in and in and out, and he's found a way because he's like so good on both sides of the ball. But like, that's something you kind of have to deal with. And I I do think it it it, it like it's it's another reason to move on from Zimmer. And I think Zimmer's not a perfect coach as much as he brings the defensive side of the ball. But the one thing that's reassuring to me is is they're investing in the offense. They're investing the draft capital. They they've found good weapons to put around Cousins. They've invested a lot of good guys on the offensive line. There's still a couple holes on the offensive line, but they're committing resources to it. And they've done a pretty they have a pretty good track record finding offensive coordinators in the past. So I guess that's the kind of the yeah. story of the offseason. So we'll see how it goes. I, I agree. I, I think the overall picture of the offense is that it is the plan is working. Uh, it might be taking a little longer than we want it to, and it's not a straight path up. You know, there have been bumps in the road, but the plan to improve the offense and make this a, an offensive football team is definitely working. Now, when you talk about specifically offensive coordinator. Wait, did you say they're going to make this an offensive football team? It, it is an offensive football team. I mean, it is. That's It is. It, it is, but that's, I mean, right not, what, that's is. not what they that's not what they want. So I, I, I'm not uh, disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, like what I heard, I mean, from, what I heard from Zimmer today was he's happy with what the off where the offensive is, which is I I'm not I'm not dissatisfied at all. True, but true. that tells me that tells me this offseason sole focus is going to be defense. And again, goes to my point. What <laughs> that doesn't mean that offense is just going to refit itself into 2021 right. and not have any issues. So like that's just where my yeah. worry is. That. Uh, and, and I have that same worry, but I mean, there is definitely the need to find an offensive coordinator that number one is going to build on the offensive success and not just settle on what we did for 2020. And, and no Clifford, it's not by accident. You look at all the investment they put into the offensive side of the ball, both in the draft and free agency. Um, you look at the scheme they put in place when they, got Kevin Stefanski, and they didn't just get Kevin Stefanski. They got Gary Kubiak to accompany uh, Kevin Stefanski. It's not by accident that this offense is good. It is a lot of hard work and a lot of deliberate actions, a lot of deliberate steps taken to make this offense what it has been. So this is not by accident. 
I, I think the only criticism you can have right now looking for another offensive coordinator is they've been a little short-sighted, you know, chasing JDF, the hot name. Uh, you you knew that he was a possibility to leave. He wanted to leave to, to become a head coach even before we signed him. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, him getting head coaching interest is not a surprise to anyone. And then Gary Kubiak, you know, he's he was basically the coaching version of Brett Favre. We coaxed that guy out of retirement. We we tried to get him to hold on as long as he could, but I'm 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 not surprised that he's retiring. So I think getting an offensive care coordinator who is not only going to build on the offense, but also be here for a while. And that's why I really like <laughs> that's why I really like. Anthony Lane. I love it. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I like Anthony Lynn is because there's a little bit of public stink on him where even if he succeeds over the next few years, he's going to stay. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, defensive head coach, you're always going to lose your offensive coordinators. That's not true. Bill Belichick has had his offensive coordinator in place for a very long time. Uh, Pete Carroll has seen very little turnover on his offensive coordinator staff. And Mike Tomlin hasn't seen much turnover either for his offensive coordinator staff. So there is a way to get a long-term offensive coordinator here under Zimmer. So long as it's one of their main goals. (laughs) Sorry. Are you saying we need to find a hall of fame quarterback (laughs) flip? Is that, is that the way? Anything that makes them think that it's not the offensive coordinator doing their job. I mean, great, (laughs) great. <laughs> All right, so everyone gets one answer. Rapid fire. Let's run through this. If Kubi actually I'll start with you. Who's taking the job? Who you, you you're talking to me? I'm talking to you, Flip. Who who should or who will? Who's your pick? Who would you like to take the job? I would like Anthony Lynn to take the job. I think that there is, like I said, there's a lot of stink on him. There's a lot of assumption that he just wants to pound the rock. Uh, I look at what he did. I think both in, in Los Angeles and Buffalo, I'm sorry, this is supposed to be a one word answer. I'll just say Anthony Lynn. There we go. There we go. Miles, (laughs) who's your guy? Uh, I think it'll be Clint Kubiak or Rick Dennison. I would like it to be like an Anthony Lynn. Okay. And Nick, bring us home. What's what's your pick here? Uh, dream pick would be Jay Gruden, but that's probably not happening. Um, that relationship like with that Kirk. That, lateral that, move. That would be yeah. funny. That would be funny. He, he's, he's such a great offensive play caller, yeah. though. But um, Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I like Lynn. I like Lynn. I like Pep Hamilton also from the Chargers. Or, you know, yeah. obviously Lynn's no longer with the Chargers. Thank him, too. Um, but I, I wouldn't hate Clint Kubiak. I mean, the story of Clint Kubiak is very, very similar to the story of Kyle Shanahan coming out where he was working with his dad for a little bit as like the QB's yeah, coach. Finally got it. It's like, yeah, it's nepotism. But like sometimes those guys who grow up around it know, know it best. So I don't know. I wouldn't hate it. There would be continuity. Um, I don't like any of the options, but I would be OK with that. Uh I would be terrified by Clint Kubiak. I mean, I'm sure he might be able to prove me wrong, but I just think it's it's um, Clint Kubiak invites the opportunity for Mike Zimmer to cross back to the aisle to the offensive side of the ball and be and say, "Hey, you need to run the ball here. You need to do this here." And I think that he respected Gary Kubiak enough not to do that. Uh, and, and we saw we saw good progress from both Zimmer and the offense because of that. And so I really want somebody that Zimmer trusts and respects on the offensive coordinator spot. Well, I could see too I, that them them trying to keep Gary on as like a consultant role, and then he can kind of yeah. intermediate that too, which man, I'm sure they'd want to do. Kubiak didn't want man. the job in the first. Kubiak didn't people want are saying the job Kubiak for Broncos GM. <laughs> Kubiak didn't want the job in 2020. Like, no, yeah, it was a, it, it was he, a Brett Favre move. Brett Favre, like, yeah. we're back. It was literally the drive down to Kubiak's Zim, ranch Zim, in Texas. Zim sold him. Zim sold him a, a promise of goods that that wasn't ever going to hit. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I watched Zim's presser, like end of season presser today, and that the impression I got, like they kept asking about Gary, and he was like, you know, you know, nothing's been settled yet. We'll see how it goes. We have to go back and talk about it and everything. So I, I really got the impression that like after there were a lot of reports that like it's a done deal, that like Zimmer was like, eh, well, we'll see. Which isn't to say I don't expect Kubiak to be back as an OC. I kind of got the impression from when Kubiak was talking about it that he was like. I'm I'm saying this in the nicest way possible, but I am spent, man. I am exhausted. I can't do yeah. this. I'm too old for this, yeah. man. Um, but I can totally see him going back to senior offensive assistant or whatever he was in and when when Stefanski was the OC. And that's kind of like a good setup because I mean the thing that brought him out of retirement was he got bored on his ranch or whatever. So uh, if he can just be like a backroom ideas guy and see his son like to take the reins, I think that would be pretty cool. I could see that happen. Hire me for that yeah, shit. I'd do that. I'll get Clint bored of my ranch. Daddy sitting up there, have to <laughs> yeah. get a permission slip from his pops when he wants to run the end around. Like that seems terrible for Clint. Clint doesn't need to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So the last thing, I, I, well, hold on. I'm gonna ask Flip because you brought it up and we were talking Zim, and one of the things that you've kind of said a couple of times in passing in, in either you know group chat, DM things like that, where you have questions of. You know, Zim's ability to really coach up bat like not great players. Like whenever the defense has been great, oh, yeah, one of the things you pointed out to us is that the defense has been great because the defense has been littered with like blue chip type players across the defense. Like the defense was great when like all the cornerbacks were first rounders and Harrison Smith and like whoever's beside Harrison Smith doesn't matter. But then like Anthony Barr, Kendrick, it's all young blue chip type players. And so, yes. From a schematic perspective, Zim does a lot of amazing things. But you were asking the question, like, is there evidence that Zim can take less than great players and scheme them to being, like, an above-average defense? Like, the way that people may talk about, like, Kyle Shanahan on offense, where he can take just, like, whoever and, like, make them productive. The flip of that is, like, can Zim do that? And so that was a question you raised. I did want to give you an opportunity to kind of expound on those thoughts while we were all here together because I thought it was an interesting one. Yeah, so to tie it to 2020, I think the the question being, can Zim coach up lesser talent? If the Vikings are going to win a Super Bowl with Mike Zimmer, the answer to that question has to be yes. And so we are going to learn whether he can or not the hard way because Mike Zimmer, he's a survivor. He's not going anywhere. Uh, you look at, you know, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, Daniil Hunter, Harrison Smith, all of those guys who we, we count on who were building this defense around. And now you throw in Jeff Gladney, Cam Dancer. Those are all day one or day two draft picks. And, Mike Zimmer just hasn't had a strong track record of developing the day three guys, especially now that we're focusing on the offensive side of the ball. He hasn't had the track record we need to keep the defense intact and, and solid average, not, not top five, not top 10, not elite, but solid while we invest more resources on the offensive side of the ball. Now, you know, I think about this and, I think you do. This is one area where I will concede to Mike Zimmer, you know, with with 16 draft picks or whatever, whatever it was coming in um, and the inability to go through rookie mini camp and just knowing the style of coach Mike Zimmer is. He's a teacher. He wants his hands on the guys. He wants to be right there during the rep all summer long. I, I will say that there's a good chance that he can still perform in this function. But again, it is critical. It's essential that Mike Zimmer is becomes a great talent developer like he was uh, bringing Anthony Harris along, bringing, bringing Everson Griffin, Brian Robeson. Uh, if he can do that again with a new crop of defensive athletes, then we really have a chance here. The thing that we can't do – sorry, go ahead, Miles. I was just going to say to your point about the the lesser players that they've helped develop, Anthony Harris, uh, you know, um, Afadio Denebo to an extent, Stephen Weatherly, uh, Eric Wilson, like all those guys were their, their ability to be developed was because they truly got the opportunity to develop and weren't just thrown into the fire the way that they have to now. 
And I think that's the key difference for me is when can you, what I want to see from Zimmer is when things aren't going great, you have some injuries and you have to thrust in some younger guys that have less experience, lesser talent um, into, into spots, into key important spots. I want to see, I still want to see a, a decent level of play. I'm, I don't want to see the bottom five tier level play from that player. That's where I want to see some of that development hit is when there's, when the expectation comes that that's when there truly is that, that real development, because to your point, all those other guys that they've developed have been sprinkled in and they haven't had a lot of true starter um, expectation. Anthony Harris is an exception, but I think his ability in a really strong defense to play next to Harrison Smith has really helped him a lot, which that's not to say he's not a good player and hasn't developed into a good player, but I just want to see it a little bit more when there's a little bit more expectation for these younger players to perform. I think Cameron Dancer was a great opportunity of that, but to your point, day two pick, you know, you want to see a little bit, maybe a little bit more of that from some of the lesser known players. I'm with you on that. And and again, I'm just asking for solid role players. And what, what scares me is like Miles said earlier is we look at 2020 when you're, when you're building for 2021, like all these mock drafts that are happening, all these offseasons, it's just complete bullshit, man. It's garbage because all they're trying to do is just plug 2020 holes. The goal of the 2021 offseason is not to plug 2020's holes. The goal of the 2021 offseason is to build a Super Bowl contender for 2021 and beyond. And you don't do that just by plugging your 2020 holes. That's why I think all Vikings fans, y'all need to go watch the playoffs. See what the best teams in the league are actually doing because that's what we're trying to build to compete with. So it's not just about going to your draft board and finding a new defensive tackle and signing a new safety and then drafting a new guard. That's not, you're always going to have role players who start for your team. You're always going to have important depth pieces that the coach has to coach up. Nick, how are saying we're not a left guard away foot? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this team's in the playoffs with a left, a left guard. You, left you guard can expect the last you can expect seasons. yeah. You can expect three new starters from the offseason. And I'm telling you right now, the Vikings are gonna have more than three holes. So the the gap has to be filled by good coaching. All right. Flip bringing the heat. Well, this let's bring it back to the last thing here. You know, there it is. Free agents. You know, Flip says it's all bullshit, but we got to talk about it any motherfucking way. So, Miles, <laughs> you've been doing some work on it. Talk to me about some of these players that we're going to try to bring in here with the promise of maybe some, some Super Bowl runs and not very much money. Who are some of the players, as you start looking in the uh, the bargain basement section of free agency, that you think might be able to come in here and uh, and do a little bit of something for the Minnesota Vikings with the change scenery. Well, I, so I, I'll start by saying this: like the Vikings, the last what three seasons now, they've done a good job of at least attempting to make a move for a, a you can call it a blue chip, high priced free agent, high priced player. They've they've done that, so I expect that to happen at least from at least one player. I don't know who that player is going to be, what position they're going to play. I expect the Vikings to make a high high priced investment into a new player that's not on the current roster. Um, they've done it um, and they're consistently done it. Like last year, I mean, Michael Pierce, I don't even consider him a high priced free agent. More of like Anthony Harris is that because they, I know he, he was on the team, but they spent that type of money to keep him, you know, then obviously Yannick Ngakwe was the other one. Um, but so I expect the Vikings to make that type of move um, this off season. Again, don't know where it'll happen. Um, but I, I hope if they were to make that type of move and investment, the, the spot where I want to see them do it is at cornerback. I think Cameron Dancer and Jeff Gladney are really good starting points. I really do. I think they're really good building blocks. But they still need a veteran cornerback to really come in here and, and, and help this team. And I, so I think for me, if they can – I'm not calling them blue chips, but I think if they can go invest a little bit more money on uh, an Akilah Witherspoon from San Francisco or a William Jackson from uh, Cincinnati, I think either of those two guys could really fill that outside cornerback position. Um, for the Vikings and then let Jeff Gladney work in the slot and let Cam Dancer work on the other opposite side on the outside. And then I think if Mike Hughes and, and Chris Boyd can be your depth, you're then you're really building yourself up to having guys that can 
come in and replace players if injuries happen. Like, you don't want to get it to a point where Chris Jones is your second fucking cornerback. Like, those are situations where you're not going to win football games. Like, that's just facts. Like, so if you can help build your depth by just adding another overall talented cornerback to the room that they currently have, that'll go a long way for this team. So I, to me, that's where I think they should start. Um, I think we talked about pass rush and, and getting pressures. I think Zimmer's really going to hone in on finding another pass rusher. Now, I think it should probably probably come from the interior. They've been so bad on the interior defensive line, like creating pressure. It's terrible. Michael Pierce will help to an extent, but what Michael Pierce is really his job really is. I should consider him a free agent because he'll be coming in as a free agent. But like what his job really is is really going to be about is taking up double teams, taking up space, and helping fill the gaps against the run. That's really what his primary role is. It's not going to pass. It's not to pass, rush the passer. What uh, the player that I've been looking at that I'm surprised got a little bit amount of money that he did this last offseason was Shelby Harris from Denver. He's the type of guy who creates a lot of pressures. Um, he's the type of guy that gets after the quarterback. And I think playing um, alongside a guy like Michael Pierce, you could really find that guy that can help disrupt the interior de- uh, offensive line. Ru- ah, you can disrupt the interior um, line of scrimmage and, and create pressure in the middle. And I don't think he'll break the bank. Like he only got, I think it was like three to $4 million this last offseason. Like he had a better season. He graded at 88.3%. Um, he had a, that, that was his grade from PFF. You know, he had an 83.5%, you know, pass rush grade. Hold, hold, hold on. What, Miles, one second. Cause I really feel like Donnie's trying to get Flip to say something. And he keeps, he keeps like <laughs> escalating every time. So Flip, can you just tell Donnie so Miles can get back to uh, the free agency? Donnie, shut up, man. We're trying to talk free agency. <laughs> shut okay. up, Donnie. <laughs> um, no, so, but I do. I think Shelby Harris is that type of player that could really come in and help that interior defensive line because you pair him with Michael Pierce and then you got a combination of DJ Wanham and Ifadi Odenabo at one defensive end and then you have Daniel Hunter on the other. I think you're, you're starting to create a little bit better of a defensive line overall. Yet they probably should still go out and grab another veteran edge rusher. You know, maybe that isn't Everson Griffin. I don't know, but someone that can come in and help on pass rushing situations if, or if a guy goes down, you know, you need guys, breathers, like guys that can still create pressure is needed. Everson Griffin might be able to do that on a limited basis. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then um, <laughs> moving to the offensive side of the ball, moving to the offensive side of the ball, we talk about this a lot, Jason. I know um, not overly investing on the interior offensive line, and I don't think we need to invest – and I know the Vikings have gone after guys like Roger Saffold. I've heard through the great finds in the weeds that if Joe Thune hadn't been franchise tagged by the Patriots, the Vikings were going to go after him. Um, but then instead they ended up franchise tagging uh, Anthony Harris. But so I think Joe Thune could be one of those like hypothetical big name free agents they go after. Do I think they should? No, but it Super wouldn't surprise Bowl, me. Baby. Super Bowl, exactly. But it wouldn't surprise me from their kind of the track record of the interior offensive line, what we've seen recently that they might try to make that type of move. But if they don't, uh, Forrest Lamp is the other guy that I think coming over from the Los Angeles Chargers that could help fill that left guard role. He took It took him a couple of years to kind of get his feet wet. He had injury his issues and stuff like that. But I think he finally kind of came into his own this last year. He, a little bit an okay so-so um, overall grade. Um, he had a, But he had a 61.3 pass blocking grade, which is a lot better than what we saw from Dakota Dozier. And I think that improvement is a like the level of improvement that we need just to be like competent at that position. And that's all what you should be looking for. And you shouldn't need to break the bank for that position. So for me, that could be a low level, like low risk type of move the Vikings make uh, for Forrest Lamp. I think if you wanted to fill the right guard role, if Ezra Cleveland goes to left tackle, um, I think you could go after a guy like Austin Blythe. He played right guard and center for the Rams the last couple of seasons. Um, he was really good in 2018 at right guard. He's com- coming from the, the outside zone scheme. And he also does give you that position flexibility if he needs to slide into play center too. So um, a guy like that could help fill your um, your uh, position, your interior line. Like we talked about, don't invest high in the um, in the draft. Spend some like decent but like lower level price free agents to fill those roles at left and right guard. Let's do that. That's kind of where I'm at. The last position I think that the Vikings really need to really need to hit on too is that wide receiver three. We have not seen this team have a like even a decent wide receiver three since uh Jarius Wright. Chad Beebe's the, the most recent yeah. um, guy. Um but he shouldn't be a wide receiver three. Uh I think BC Johnson's better than him anyways, but that's just me. Um but I think 
if they could go and invest a few dollars in finding that third wide receiver, there's a lot of talent out there. I didn't go to the higher level. Everybody's like, oh, my God, let's go get uh, Kenny Galladay or something. That's not happening. The Vikings aren't going to do that. I would love it. It's not going to happen. But what they need is a little bit more juice, and they need a, and then a guy that can um, that doesn't need to play a lot of snaps to be effective. There's a few guys on the list that I have that I think could potentially fill that. Nelson Aguilar was a guy who played uh, signed with the Raiders this last offseason. He's a guy that I wanted to sign this last off this offseason. I knew he was going to come cheap. I think he got like a one point five million dollar deal with the Raiders. Um, he's a burner. He's a deep threat. He's a guy that can be. Um, um, a dual threat, like you can motion him around the formation, get him the ball in jet sweeps and stuff, quick screens. I know he he struggles with drops a little bit, but I'll take I'll I'll deal with a few drops if a guy's that explosive and can score, um and 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 take the top off a of defense. And Nelson Aguilar can do that. But the issue with him is he just put up 48 receptions, 896 yards, eight touchdowns, and averaged 18.7 yards per catch. So to expect him to come cheap anymore, I don't know if that's going to happen. But he's a guy that I would love to see the Vikings attempt to go after. Um, he could also probably look at um, – no, Dalekin. the dude, Donnie, the dude was pretty good. And you ask him to be your wide receiver three? Come on now. You're killing me. He's a great route runner too. Like really underrated yeah. aspect of the team. He runs great routes. So he's not just like, uh, you know, run a vertical. He's not, um, you know, uh, just like a, just a he's, he's Sean He's not Jackson. the next wide receiver Miles wants to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well – <laughs> well, Bryant, so John, you got Dez on there. Dez, Dez Bryant, Dez Bryant's the next one. No, John Ross. Um, John Ross is a guy. Um, I talked about the Vikings maybe trading for him in the last couple of seasons. Again, burner, vertical threat. The what the Vikings need is just to help loosen the defense up for guys like Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. So if that third receiver just need, can be a guy that can help stretch the defense and help take a little bit of that attention away from Thielen and Jefferson. That's really what that factor is for me. And I think John Ross, he got, again, injury issues. Um, I, third, and he's cornerback yeah. depth. And he's cornerback depth. So, um, <laughs> But he got hurt trying to here? play cornerback. But um, that's just another guy, low level. That could be a low risk, uh, page, like a, a vet man type of move if you want to see what he lo- looks like in camp. That's something I think could happen. But the other, the other name I had is Brashad Perriman. Um, you know, he was, he was good for the Browns. He was good for the Bucks. Um, and he's a, he's another burner. He was a, uh, signed with the Jets this last offseason. Um, had 500 yards, three touchdowns, averaged 16.8 yards a catch, a reception, excuse me. Um, and he's a guy that, again, can be that effective third receiver and can step in and be a, a wide receiver two if you need him to be. He's not just a wide receiver three. There's a there's a t- there's ability to be to be better than that. So those are a couple a few of the names I looked at. The last one was Keelan Cole, more so as like I think he's not a burner. He's not a guy that stretches the field. But he's a guy that can get open, and he's a good returner. And I think that's yeah. that's something that the Vikings team yeah. is really missing is a return is in the return game. So if you can give me a little bit of both, that's something I'd be looking at too. So um, those are some of the names I've been looking at. And Whoa. so talking about special teams, Jamal Agnew is a free agent as well. Lions returner. That dude's like the best dude in the league right now at punt and kick. If you wanted to pay a few bucks to get him, he'd probably be a guy to, a good guy to have too. All right. There it is. We Donnie does not like things. We got any other – we got plenty of other commenters than Donnie. Come on. You all need to drown this dude out. We got to get some other. <laughs> I'm here for the flip versus Donnie. Page match. <laughs> well, gentlemen, as always, it is a pleasure. Donnie. We don't even get to talk about the playoffs. What playoffs? We're not in the playoffs. Football ceased to exist. Well, we no. need to watch the playoffs no. rather than trying to trying to tell us Jamal Agnew and John Ross got to get on the football team. There you go. Y'all's bandwagon team. You guys rooting for Diggsy? You guys rooting for for Josh Allen? Always. Josh Allen and Diggsy. How about Stephon Diggs or Xavier Rhodes? Let's go. Let's yeah, go. Xavier can't, Xavier can't. Xavier can't run with Xavier, Xavier don't want that smoke, man. <laughs> well, let's see. We saw, him, we saw him in practice. We signed in practice a lot for five years. people are sleeping on that football team. Listen, listen. They're going to rotate in Taylor. I kick doors, Heineke. Come on now. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to. Root, I'm supposed to expect that team to win, bro, bro. 2010, seven and nine, Seattle Seahawks. Oh boy, beat the defending champion, eleven and five, New Orleans Saints. 
Okay. Who are the literally, Seahawks who's the Seahawks quarterback? Drew Brees. It literally an earthquake. Earthquake happened said, in the, the stadium. Who is the Seahawks? Who is the Seahawks quarterback? Russell Wilson. In 2010, no, he wasn't. I don't even okay. know, but they won the game. They were seven and nine. A lot of people saying they should have been in the playoffs. It might have been okay. Tavares. Hey, I'm not gonna look this up. 20, 20, 20, 2014, seven and nine Carolina Panthers again beat Brees. Matt Hasselbeck. Beat it was Matt Hasselbeck. All right, uh, see, see, this is what I'm saying, Flip. Okay, Taylor Carolina Heineke. Taylor Heineke. And uh, I can't move because my legs, Alex Smith, are supposed to beat. Come on, Bruce no. Arians has already lost to a seven and nine in the playoffs. 2014. I'm, this happens. I'm just, give me I'm just that saying. He didn't team. have Tom Brady. He didn't have Tom Brady. Give me that football. Give me the football team. Okay. Let's see what happens. Flip, Flip I, just wants it because he bucks. hopes that's us next year. Twenty. Bucks, I mean, we Flip. got games. We got games, y'all. We got Seattle, Los Angeles. We got Cleveland, Pittsburgh. We got a lot of young quarterbacks who got some big games coming up. You know, Josh Allen, he's got a exactly he's got Martin. a ball out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We'll fine. We'll talk about him. Twenty next front week. runner. How about that? Y'all are front runners. We'll talk about next him next time. week. Next, next time week we'll when when we, half of them are already eliminated, then we get to talk about him. Exactly. We'll ta- we'll talk it's, about. It's the we got to talk about Jabal Agnew. <laughs> well, there it is. Hey, you want a special teams touchdown play? <laughs> We're I getting out of here, David. Get in here before we completely lose control. David, <laughs> wrap us up. <laughs> Dave, you're still on mute, and it's become a bit now. But you're on mute. <laughs> hey, everybody! Once I hit the unmute button, it's been a great show, and I want to thank everybody that's joined us: Donnie, Mark, Alejandro. Ah, uh, Clifford, everybody that's joined us, Infinity, etc. A couple of uh, names. You guys have there. rocked, including you, Mayor. Uh, Shout out to Join Mary us Fair. for the rest of the week. We are working on off, quote, off-season content to become more regular and dominate the space. And until then, skull! Go likes. Play the music. Go. Tell, tell me you're not watching. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Go, everybody.